know, typically we would be dismissing our elementary students right now who actually hang out in service with us. This is going to be here in a little bit. So thanks, Karen, for having us hang out. What we begin? One of the many signs of God's creative kindness is who he sends as his messenger. Who he sends as his messenger. God could send the powerful, the wise, the influential, those that have a noble and incredible background, but again and again throughout the story of Scripture, we see that God chooses to and delights in sending the weak, the forgotten, the discarded, the lowly. That's who God chooses to send as his messenger. For instance, take this story from 2 Kings. There's this great, powerful general named Naaman, who's not even from Israel. He's from an enemy country called Aram. And he has leprosy. And he's wondering, how could I ever be healed? And he has a servant girl that has been captured from Israel. And she says, oh, if only my master could go to the prophet who lives in Samaria, the capital of Israel, he would surely heal my master. So Naaman takes the word of this slave girl, goes to meet this prophet, and is healed of his leprosy. What's beautiful is that this story doesn't really need to acknowledge that he hears about this prophet from this little girl. But at the same time, it's absolutely essential that we know that God is using this little girl. Or again, there's a story of Jesus when he's meeting with a woman at a well. Many of you have probably heard this story. And Jesus meets with her right in the middle of the day. He stumbles across her, which is unusual because most people would go to a well early in the morning to get their water. Just like here in Kansas, nobody wants to be outside at 1 p.m. in the afternoon, right? It's burning hot heat of the day, so you go early in the morning. But this woman's going right in the middle of the day. Why? We learn that she's wanting to avoid other people from the town. We learn from Jesus that she's on, she's been married four times, and she's now living with a man who is not her husband. So undoubtedly, this woman was the gossip of the Probably everyone loved to talk about her. Do you hear what's going on in so-and-so's life? So the last thing she wants to do is be around other people and get their stares of judgment on her. But after one conversation with Jesus, after one conversation and his offer of free life to her, beautifully, this woman goes back into the town where she is the gossip, everyone talking about her, and she says, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? What would lead a woman like this, who had been hiding her life, to now go start telling other people, come here, the man who can tell you everything. He can give you the scoop on everything I've ever done. I don't care now. There's something different going on in my heart. Do you see this? So what an unlikely witness this woman is. And the one everyone's talking about to the one who's speaking to everyone about Jesus. So again, and again, and again, in the story of Scripture, this message of God's relentless and unfailing pursuit of his people, this message of God's free offer of himself to his people comes through broken and messy people. It is beautiful because they embody the message. Because it's about God's grace, about God's free offer of love. And it's being brought through people who are clearly in need of that grace. See what 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We jump a couple of chapters ahead. We're going to Acts chapter 4, verse 23 through 31. Tell me more of the story later, but here's the conclusion in chapter 4, verse 23 through 31. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers stand together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So to acknowledge how this word is different, we say here at King's Cross, this is the word of the Lord. It's a great message of hope in what we just read, but I first want to pause and look at the challenge of Jesus' mission that he provides in the challenge. So again, if you are here and you would not consider yourself a follower of Jesus, I think you would see and agree with me in this, the challenge of Jesus' mission. For instance, I think you would agree, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, that talking about Jesus with people in an everyday conversation can be very awkward and strange. Right? I think our culture is very uncomfortable with talking about religion and people's belief in God. More than that, it can feel very pushy and invasive to talk about your faith in Jesus. So if someone came up to you and tried to talk to you about Jesus, I think you would agree with me that might feel awkward or strange to you, or even pushy. That there's this exclusiveness to Jesus that Christians are saying, you must believe in Christ. But again, even if we don't believe in Jesus here this morning, could you just sympathize with us here real quick? That if this message about Jesus is true, if Jesus is who he said he is, if he really was crucified for the world so that they might know God, if he really was raised from the dead as a statement of his divine identity, and if he really is coming again to redeem the world and to judge the world, is this not the most important message? And that we don't get to determine this as Christians, we get to follow the one who set the standard in Jesus. So just sympathize with us in the challenge of the mission he has given us. The power of this word is not our own choice. So you might see that the mention of Jesus is challenging. Or again, there are many doubts and questions that people have about the existence of God, about the reliability of scripture, about the historicity of Jesus' life and his resurrection. People have many doubts and questions in these concerns. And I think there are very good answers, but again, I think you can agree with me how it would be difficult for Christians to speak into all these questions and to be sure they have all the right answers to this. 
the, I think there are very good reasons to put your trust in Jesus, to rely on the resurrection. It would be hard enough for some Christians to push through their own doubts, let alone to answer the questions of others. Jesus' mission is difficult. Or again, you might agree with me, this might be a bit more challenging. The scripture says again and again that the resistance people have to the truth of the gospel is not just intellectual, but it comes from the heart. Let me say it this way. That even if a perfect case was given to you about Jesus and the reality of his resurrection, that he is who he says he is, there are many who would still reject that message honestly, out of the hardness of their own What I mean is this, that many people say about Christianity that it's just wish fulfillment, that Christians just believe about God because they want to feel better about themselves and have some hope in life. But actually, this cuts both ways. Even if you do not believe in God, you have reasons that you do not want to believe in God. There's reasons that it makes you more comfortable, more okay with your life. There is no judge that you have. There's no one that you are held accountable to. There's no one who's seeing the secrets of your heart and what you do. There's no higher purpose or standard that you're called to. So if you do not believe in God, it allows you to live however you want without fear of any consequences. There's no one to submit to. So yes, there are many reasons why people do not want to believe in God out of a hardness of their hearts. Maybe you even agree with me. The mission of Jesus is difficult. And this is why many Christians do not know what to say. Even if they want to speak about Jesus, they get caught up in all sorts of fears. Fears that they'll say the wrong thing. Fear of not being liked. Fear of driving others away. Fear of having the wrong answer. Fear of being labeled as a weird, crazy Christian. Fear after fear after fear that keeps people from speaking this message of truth, even if it's been transformative to their own life. And if you are a follower of Jesus here, and you have felt any of this, that kind of fear, that kind of inadequacy, I would say you are not alone. I would wager that almost every Christian the last 2,000 years has felt this in some way, shape, or form. I think it would be a huge mistake for us to think that there is a certain select group of Christians that do not have any fear and are just happy to share about Jesus, and these are the ones that Jesus has called into his mission. No. Jesus has called all of us into his mission and to speak this transformative truth, even if it makes us uncomfortable and we do not feel feeling qualified or equipped. Jesus is calling all of us into his mission. There is no exemption. There's no way around this. I want to enter into this a little bit more. So this is difficult mission that Jesus has given us. How is he equipping us? How is he calling us into more and using us for more people? So for several weeks ago, the last two weeks, we looked at John chapter 20, verse 21. I want to bring this up again for us. John chapter 20, verse 21. It says this. Then Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And we've looked at how the mission we have is determined and built on Jesus' how he was sent. God's mission determines our own. But this is not the end of this statement. It goes on and continues to say, hear this. And with that, he breathed on them and said, 
receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus knew that if we are to be sent as he is sent, if we are to do the same works Jesus did, and as he said, even greater works than these, if we are to persevere in the same mission Jesus had, then we must walk in the same power. And the brilliance of Jesus' ministry, I love this, is not that he was some one-off, unique life that was never meant to be replicated. The brilliance of Jesus' ministry is the exact opposite. It's that his life is meant to be a model for what is possible in God doing in you and I. The life that he can achieve and bring about in us. So the way Jesus prayed, the way he trusted in the Father, the way he was full of compassion and kindness and, yes, even power, all of these are meant to be a model for what he is looking to reestablish in you and I. Not that he's one-off, unique life that's never meant to be reproduced. This is what it means to be a disciple. This is what it means to follow him. So let me put it this way. As Jesus lived in and relied on the Holy Spirit, so must we. If Jesus is demonstrating this is where he had his power, his life, then isn't this how we also should be living? This is what he, the Son of Man, relied on in his ministry how much more for you and I. This is what it means to be his disciple, to be an apprentice, to be a follower of Jesus. And the verse that speaks this most clearly is what we looked at here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be proud Thankfully, God never intended for you and I to attempt to follow him and to be a part of his mission on our own strength. He never intended for us to try to share this transformative message of grace in our own wisdom and ability or eloquence. He meant for us to rely on the Holy Spirit. And think about Jesus' first disciples. What a group of misfits, wonderful misfits that Jesus calls to follow him. I mean, we got a tax collector that was a colluder with the Romans. We got a zealot that wants to go kill people. We got a whole group of crazy people that Jesus calls to follow him. And the whole leader of the bunch, Peter, in the moment of greatest need for Jesus, Peter denies that he ever knew Jesus. Not once or twice, but three times he denies that he ever knew Jesus, and they all run away and abandon him in his moment of greatest need. Talk about a group of weak inadequate, unprepared people. But beautifully, months later, we see in Acts chapter 4, this passage that we read earlier, Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are walking into the temple one day, and they see a paralytic man begging. And they reach out, and Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And the man stands up and he walks, begins to leap and jump and praise God. And people who had seen this paralytic day after day after day for years sitting outside the temple are stunned and astonished that he's now healed and leaping and praising God. So this group of astonished onlookers gather around Peter and John, and they begin to boldly testify about Jesus. More than that, when the group of rulers of the Jews called the Sanhedrin, they, they bring Peter and John in to say, how did this happen? They also boldly testify to this group 
that just was responsible for condemning Jesus months before. The same group that has the power to whip and beat and lead into execution, Peter and John, they boldly testify to this group. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So tell me, how did Peter, the denier, John the hider, running away for their own comfort, how did they, just months later, have such great boldness to talk about Jesus in front of a group of highly educated, intimidating people that have the power to beat and whip them? How did they get that kind of confidence? What led them to be transformed into that kind of witness? Here again, Acts chapter 1, verse 6. But you will be my witnesses when you receive power. You will receive power. So it wasn't because Peter and John went to seminary, as helpful as that is, right? It wasn't because Peter and John had newly been established to some leadership position and given some title. That's not what gave them more. It's not because they now had years and years of more experience and had reached a new level of maturity. Peter's still got big mistakes to make in the future. None of these are the reasons why they were transformed. It's because they have received the promised Holy Spirit that Jesus said he would send to empower them. And the Holy Spirit is working in them. And this same promised Holy Spirit is for you and I. Hear how Peter even said this himself in Acts chapter 2. Go back with me, verse 38 and 39. I love this passage. Peter in preaching, he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God calls. Does that not include you sitting here today in right hand? Is that promise not also for you here 2,000 years later that Jesus has promised his spirit and it was not just to a select group but to all whom the Lord our God calls? This is your inheritance, a promise for you in Jesus' name. This need has not changed. There are still millions upon millions of people in our world that are in desperate need of this message about you. Who are lost in loneliness, who hate their lives, who hate themselves, overwhelmed with guilt and with shame. But if they knew the value they had in Jesus, that he had given himself for them so that they might know God. How might that open up their eyes to the incredible love of God towards them? That their identity would no longer be in their past and their mistakes and their failures, but they'd say, I am a son and daughter of the king, and that's who I am. Regardless of what's been done to me or what I have been done, I am now a child of the king. Do you see how this is transformative? This is greatly needed in our own county. For the teachers and students in these schools, for the co-workers that you come across, for the family members that you interact with every week, the need has not changed. Nor has the mission. God is still longing 
to draw our lost world closer to himself. He's still longing for lost people to hear this message. And the power has not changed. Jesus is still reigning, full of authority. All, have, all authority in heaven and on earth still belongs to him, and he has still sent this promised Holy Spirit for you and I to be renewed and empowered in this mission. It has not changed. So I'll explore very briefly here. This is true. The promised Holy Spirit is for you and I in this mission to empower us. How do we go about seeking this? Is it already ours? How do we go about living in this morning? find it incredibly fascinating that as Peter and John come back from testifying to the Sanhedrin, they come back to their fellow Christians and they share what just happened, what the Sanhedrin said and the warnings they gave. What do they do from them? Guess what they do? What do they decide to say to their people? They don't decide to have a training seminar so that people can be like them. They don't hold a strategy session. They don't decide to sit down and read up, write a book about their great success in evangelism. Rather, what Peter and John do is gather the fellow believers together to pray. They say, we've just seen God do amazing things. We've just boldly testified about him, yes, but the thing we are most in need of right now is to be in prayer. This is not the first time God had empowered Peter and John to the first is in Acts chapter 2. And again and again in the story of Acts, they are filled with and empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is not meant to be a one-off moment that you receive it and then you're entirely done and good to go the rest of your life. Acts testifies again and again they were filled with the Holy Spirit. seems that God does not intend for his power in us to be something in our control. Like tap water that we can just turn off and turn, turn on and turn off. This is not a power we are meant to presume upon. This is the third member of the Holy Spirit who is graciously come to live in our community. Again, this is not a power for us to presume upon. It is a person for us to submit our lives to. So God does not automatically give us this power so that it's under our control all the time. Rather, he wants us to come to him and rely on him to seek his face again and again and again. Saying, Lord, I know you might have used me, but I come to you again and say, would you empower me? Would you enable your servant to speak boldly for you? And if Peter and John needed this kind of prayer, even after they just saw a paralytic healing, even after they had just boldly testified about Jesus, how much more do you and I need to come and say, Lord, Enable your servants to speak your word boldly. I don't want to do this on my own. I don't want to presume on your power. I don't want to think this is automatically mine and rush headlong into something. I want to constantly look to you and say, you are my prize. And you are the one working in me. So I rely on you, not on my own strength. I want to take time to actually pray here this morning together. This is crucial. The way we are empowered, not looking to ourselves, not presuming, but coming again and again and again to God, saying, will you enable to serve? I want to pray together. So I'm going to invite this man back up for us to enter the worship together. But before we do that, I want to connect three ways this really comes to bear on our lives. Three ways that this will add deeper meaning to us. 
to use. First of all, this is a challenge to our self-sufficiency. It's a challenge to our self-sufficiency. Even if God has richly used your life through some act of generosity, through some great encouragement, even some power that he's just done through you, no matter what he's just done, we always have reason to come back and say, Lord, enable me. This is not my own. I'm not living by my own strength. So ruin my self-sufficiency and let me always rely on you. So there's a hint of overconfidence in your heart. Let this message challenge your self-sufficiency and bring you back to Jesus. Secondly, and I think what's probably more likely for us is that this challenges our inadequacy and our excuses. So here the type of person who would say, yes, I know Jesus is work in my life, but I do not know what to say to other people. I do not feel comfortable talking to other people about Jesus. In some way, I'd encourage you to leave behind your way and your view. More than that, I would encourage you to repent of thinking and believing differently than Jesus. What I mean is that you need to see less your great inability and your great need and how maybe you don't have enough qualifications, maybe you don't have enough experience or training, but look less at your inadequacy and see more the great gift that God has placed in your inner being. That it was never meant to be about you being good enough or eloquent enough or brilliant enough or wise enough. It was never meant to rely on you in the first place. It was always the promised gift of the Holy Spirit in you. So see less your inadequacy and see more this great gift of God in your inner being. Let that lead you out of excuses. Let that lead you out of being overwhelmed by your inadequacy. Thirdly here, leave this as a call for us to examine our hearts. If we truly have been given, buried God in our inner being by the Holy Spirit, we should expect in some measure a desire to speak and to share and to participate in God's mission. And if there is not that desire in our hearts, it should give us pause. Do I truly know him? Have I really tasted his goodness? Am I just going through the motions and owning this label as a Christian? But have I actually entered into a relationship promised with God? Author I've been quoting recently, Michael Green, here what he says above this challenge. He says, if we are full of the Holy Spirit, we will be full of the desire to share Jesus with other people. Challenging. If we have no desire to share Christ with those who do not know him, there is every reason to doubt whether the Spirit is present in our lives at all, let alone filling us. The whole purpose of the gift of the Spirit is to make us like Christ and witnesses to Christ. He is given for mission. Without him, the disciples would not have dared to venture out into evangelism, and with him, they could not hold that. So examine your hearts and say, Lord, where is my desire? Have I been in complacency? Have I not really cared about the people in the world around me? What do you want me to stir up? So I want to enter into prayer here this morning. So that simple, Lord, enable us to speak your word. As we enter into worship here, just encourage you to just close your eyes with me. 
lift up these words to Jesus in your hearts? So we submit our ways to you. We submit maybe those lies that we believe about ourselves, that primarily believe our abilities or our experience to determine what you can do in and through us. So Jesus, we repent of that foolishness. And so we say, the measure of your work is the Holy Spirit. And this is why you are able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine through your power that is at work in us. In us, Jesus. So we leave behind that unbelief. God, also, if there is a hard-heartedness or complacency around your mission, you stir up a passion in us. That same passion you have for the world, that same love you have for the world, Jesus, you stir that up. We have a prayer team here that's going to encourage them to be standing in the back as we enter into singing here this morning. We're about to take communion as well in a little bit. But if you were able, would you stand, use this song, Holy Spirit, hymn of the Holy Spirit, to be a confession.